The ET contact phenomenon comes to many people in many ways. There are accounts that are described as frightening and mind-boggling, and yet others are enlightening and inspiring. Regardless of the reaction of the experiencer after the encounter, one common element exists throughout, and that's life change, a change or adaptation and direction of one's path and purpose. The individual you are about to hear from is a powerful case in point. After a series of experiences he had spanning over a decade, his life and his life's work would never be the same. He goes by the name Tolek, and he is the creator of the website AndromedaCouncil.com, and also the producer of a highly successful annual event called Transformational Shift Events Conference in Sedona, Arizona, of which I'm happy to say I will be a keynote speaker for this year. Tolek is going to take us down a windy road today and share with us his personal journey that I initially got to hear for the first time late last year when Tolik and I had a face-to-face visit over the holiday season. I was absolutely fascinated by his story, and I knew then that he needed to share it with the larger Higher Journeys audience, and I'm so delighted that he graciously accepted. So without further ado, I present to you simply Tolik. Tolik, how are you, man? <laughs> hey, Alexis. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm absolutely great. And by the way, journeyers, we are recording this on a uh, glorious Saturday. And you know, this story has got to be good if I'm going to not go out into my garden and come (laughs) on a beautiful day and sit in front of the computer and and chat with Tolik. So this is a good story. So hang in there and listen to it. Now, listen, there are lots of twists and turns to the story that you all uh, are going to hear and what Tolik is about to share. And I want you all to have the benefit of hearing it with minimal interruption. So, Tolik, what I think I'm going to do here is just have you begin at the beginning. And uh, just so you know, audience, we're going to have some visuals uh, that will go with the incredible journey that Tolik's going to be sharing with us. So I want you to take us down this path, uh, Tolik, that started for you in August of 1993 in Tucson, Arizona. I want you to have at it. Tell us what happened. Okay. I'm originally from New England, like yourself. Uh, After traveling the country in the, uh, throughout the 80s, and then in 19, roughly in the year of 1990, I decided I needed a life change. I laid it, literally laid out a map and decided that after all of the states I had visited and or worked in, that I needed a life change away from the industrial Northeast, the, the busy commercial dense Northeast. And I, uh, I actually targeted the states of Colorado and Arizona. And after arranging uh, two separate trips, one to Colorado, one to Arizona, and arranging uh, meetings with potential employers, I came away from a week's worth of meetings in Arizona and uh, two offers from Phoenix, one from Tucson. I accepted Tucson offers, offer because the, uh, of the, the glorious beauty of the Tucson area, mountains on all four sides, higher elevation, less people, less dense. And so by August of 1993, I had been living in the Tucson area happily, had been taking a lot of walks in the desert, which was just an amazing experience for me, living up against a mountain range that goes mostly east-west and then takes a turn north. It's kind of odd. Uh, called the Catalinas. 
August 93, I'm deep in sleep. It's about 3.33. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> about? 3.34 in the morning, something like that. <sighs> and much like you and I are having this conversation today, um, I begin to, parenthetically, we'll call it me answering a telephone call. But in this case, I was asleep. And I hear this gentleman say, uh, hey, wake up. You got, you got to get up. I'm like, what? <laughs> now, keep in mind, I'm I'm in my bedroom. I'm in, in this condo up against the Catalina Mountains, 14 miles uh, due, if you will, north, northeast a little bit of the center of Tucson. Like I said, 3.33, 3.34 in the morning. And I knew that when I was waking up from this voice, and I'll digress for a moment. Alexis, you know, when, when we were in school, we're back in university and we have people that we make lifetime friends with or people from your hometown and they're lifetime friends. And it could be two days, two weeks or two months. When that phone rings and you answer the phone, you know that voice right away, Absolutely. right? Absolutely, yes. Okay, so with that as an analogy, the voice I hear reminds me of a college buddy, but it's not. I know his voice right away. I'm like, why are you bothering me? At this time in the morning, he says, listen, I need you to get up. I need you to get dressed. Um, you know, you got rid of your uh, your nice business car, and you're now you have a, now a, uh, a beat-up off-road vehicle. Get in your vehicle. Drive down the highway. I need you to take this dirt road and meet me. I'm like, do you know what time it is? He said, yes, I know what time it is. I need you to do this. All right, fine. Now, keep in mind, this is not a phone call that has come to me. This is what? Today we know as telepathy. A good friend of mine in Texas, Thomas Hughes Nunya, calls it mind speak. There are all sorts of words for it, but it's telepathy. And he's giving me some visuals along the way. So, all right, fine. So, crawl out of bed, bathroom clothes, dressed on the road. I arrive 4 a.m. ish. I find the dirt road he described. I pull off just before the San Javier mission exit. I travel through the desert in this beat up old Ford Bronco <laughs> that I have at the time. And I, uh, I probably traveled about a quarter of a mile in the desert, dropped down through a small wash, came out the other side and, and it's just, it's a bit of a dip, not much else, but enough that it obscured the view a little bit. I pop, to, pop up through the other side and they're sitting, we'll call it 75 feet ahead of me is a silver craft and for people wanting to know kind of what it looked like i would have you refer to what's known in the uh the edward billy meyer pleiadian plajaran contact case okay. of a beam sh beam ship two craft roughly it's kind of what it looked like <clears throat> excuse me it on the on the exterior it looks yeah, 38 to 40 feet I see this tall, uh, good-looking Native American guy, hair pulled back. He's about seven foot four-ish, about 75 feet, standing in front of the craft, and he's waving toward me. I'm like a little kid. Now, keep in mind, I was young at the time. I was probably about 32 or 33, roughly, and... I was excited because I was seeing somebody. I knew that I hadn't seen in a while. So I'm excited. I hop, I hop out of the Bronco. I'm waving at him. I'm like, hey, good to see you. This is great. Wow. 
He's like, will you please hurry up? I'm like, well, you, baby. He said, come on. <laughs> so I finally shut the door. I go running over and he says, listen, we got to get out of here. We got to do it quick because, you know, now it's like 425, 30-ish. He said, it's, you know, it's August in Tucson and uh, people are going to be going to work pretty soon. I don't necessarily want them to see my craft sitting here in the desert. We got to leave. So he gives me a pill. He explains to me that I've got to take this pill so that we can appropriately adjust my matter and vibrational rate because the trip we're going to take is we're going to go back in time and you cannot do time travel in this organic body. You have to raise it to a higher vibrational free and a high rate and a higher frequency during the trip. Otherwise the body would be destroyed literally. So it's, you know, think of, think of, uh, when anyone would watch star Trek mm -hmm. and they guess they'd step on the transporter beams that that's what happens. You get, dematerialized and rematerialized so absolutely and if i, I could just if, if i could just interject very very yes, quickly i sure, i, I want to make a point of this uh and for the audience if you heard my interview with emory smith about a month or maybe two months ago we talked about that or he talked about that very point of in some of the uh projects that he was involved with uh having to do with time travel and technology uh, uh that point was brought up in terms of being able to um dismantle if you will or or shift yes. into another time frame the the body is just not prepared uh, at all to do that and some people have according to some of the stories have not survived it so I, that's that point has been brought up before continue yeah. that's that's very serious so, so yeah. yeah and thank you thank you for that independent unsolicited confirmation <laughs> it's always it's always fantastic for me even as long as i've been doing this to have independent non-solicited third-party information that confirms different experiences of what I've been through. So thank you. I really appreciate it. Um, we also, so I, so I take this little pill and I walk, I, you know, he's got a glass of water for me. I take the pill. We, we walk up inside the craft and I'm like, what? <laughs> this craft inside looks like it's, uh, 150 feet plus inside, but that's not what I'm I'm seeing from the outside. I mean, from the outside, I'm seeing 38 to 40 feet in diameter. I'm like, uh, oh well. <laughs> I've got so many other questions. So uh, I am aware of the fact that there is motion when the ship is lifting off and it's leaving immediate Earth space. We get to a point when. I don't know, we'll call it many seconds or a minute. And basically we do, we do a jump gate thing. He touches some controls and I don't exactly remember this experience, but I know that he had to do something to dematerialize the ship in the 19 August, 1993 earth time space going through the jump gate so it could rematerialize and we ended up in either uh, rural Kentucky or rural West Virginia in the mid 1840s and it was purposeful that we were doing that he was taking me to this area for a specific reason and for the sake of uh, clarity but brevity I took this trip three times over the course of 10 days 
we observed a family of four, um, a young family of four, a dad uh, uh, roughly 32, 34 years old, a young wife, uh, 24 to 26, a son that was nine or 10, a daughter that was around three or four years old, uh, like, uh, you know, honey, blonde hair, little blue eyes, just, you know, one of those cute as a button little girls. And during the third separate trip, we observed, um, so when we're observing, we're in his craft, there's some kind of view screen. We can see the family walking around during the, doing their thing every day. And it's, of course, it's rural Kentucky or West Virginia. It's 1840s. There's no electricity. They're on a farm. They've got corn growing and they have uh, uh, pears and apples and peaches and they have, uh, you know, other vegetables. They're self-sufficient. It's a farm. The third trip, the daughter was playing with some of the animals in the barn. She fell asleep. There was a fire. She died of smoke inhalation. And I said to him on that third trip, it was, as a man, for me, it was very difficult to see what I saw, experience what I experienced. I said, out of all the possible trips that you would take me on, why would you ever consider this one as my first adult full memory experience? Because up until that point, I had no memories of other prior contact experiences. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, there are, there are three primary reasons. The first reason is that in this body that you're in, in this lifetime, uh, these people are genetically related to you. So they're, they're distant relations. I said, okay, fair enough. Uh, second reason is that um, many of us who work together, I'm the commander of not only the ship, but of many, many biospheres. Um, we, uh, we live and thrive in a higher frequency, higher dimension, if you will. And to use words you, you'd be familiar with, you'd consider us to be immortal. And that is, we're not organic. We don't, we don't die. And when we need to evolve, whenever we have experiences that, that we decide it's time for a change in our life, we don't die. We don't pass over. We simply make a decision. At that point in time, he was a very high level 4D person. He said, whenever we choose to, what you would call Passover, we, us, we just evolve. So we make a decision. Okay, I've had all the experiences I'm going to have as an upper 4D person. I'm ready. It's time for me to become a 5D person. And they just consciously make that decision. And in that very next moment, they're vibrating at a higher, different rate, and they're a 5D person. And that would be, that would equate to a, our passing over is what you're saying. Well, what we would call passing. What we would but, call passing over. Okay. Yeah, but and I've had, I'm, and I'm sure you've had a similar conversation with other people who've learned this information. Mm-hmm. For them, it's simply a a change of life experience. You know, mm-hmm. it's like going from it's like going to school and doing your undergrad work and deciding to take your master's. Mm-hmm. You know, another three or four months, you simply just go to another university and you start your work. Right. 
Right. And if you want to become a PhD, you finish at work, you know, a year and a half or two years, and you, or you go to law school, it's three years, PhD is more. So I'm using that analogy because for them, they just simply make it a decision to evolve. There's no death. And, and that's relevant because the third item that he mentioned, which is important, is that because in the near future of our planet, now keep in mind, he's telling me this in 1993, mm -hmm. because of the near future of our planet, of, you know, he's talking to me, he's, of your planet, there are going to be significant major changes to your world at all, at all levels. And there will be what you would consider to be a significant loss of life because we as higher dimensional people don't experience loss, death, and grief. We've known you for a while. We consider you to be a, a, a you know, as you live this earth human life and other earth human lives, we consider you to be a balanced earth male. We also know that you're um, highly sensitive and you have the capacity to feel what these family members are going through. So it's a benefit to us to observe you as you are observing them. Because if we're going to help the people of your planet in the future, we've got to do a better job of understanding the full capacity of what you are going through emotionally. Mm -hmm. Which comes up a lot. This this uh, angle, Tolik, in terms of what, what I like to call non-human intelligence, really trying to get a handle on what it is like to feel, to have compassion, to have empathy. And it has been said, we don't know for sure, but it has been said that certain species that are absent of that, that's something that they have not been endowed with for whatever reason, at whatever level they're at. I don't know that it's even a hierarchical thing as much as it's just a level of, of, uh, of existence. So this, this too, again, has come up a lot in terms of ah, really good. trying to I, either replicate empathy or to, just to understand it and how it fits into the larger, the larger picture. Sure, sure. And he, um, we talked about this at length, and I've come up with this, um, I guess, analogy. Let's say, for example, we as Earth humans, and I know that you and I, you and I have had this philosophical conversation before, but it's worth, I think it's worth illustrating. As Earth humans, we are a very diverse planet of very diverse species of humans. We are diverse culturally. We're diverse from a language perspective. We are also diverse from the way each of us feels and expresses our feelings, and also in terms of the, of the depth and breadth of emotion. Now, here's where I can say pretty much globally, even though there are those of us who are, if you will, that have taken to, that, that have chosen a path to examine self and, and to work on self and become aware and awake and conscious and all of the implications of that. If you will, on a scale of zero to 50, he, he and other advanced races 
would very much consider Earth to be a schoolyard mm. of sixth grade grammar school children emotionally. Yeah. Mm. And that mm. we would likely express the full range of emotion from zero to 50 as a metaphor. For them, they're experiencing about, I don't know, we'll call it like 17 to 37. <laughs> Theirs is much more tempered. They do not have the emotional roller coaster, the breadth of emotional experience that we seem to exhibit on this planet. Interesting. And that's, and I'm giving analogies and metaphors, but that was that's what he was trying to convey in terms of why it's important that they better understand us. Um, you know, we're. We, as you know, are still very much an immature race. Now, I'm talking about globally and collectively of diverse humans that still take advantage of each other, that still beat each other up, and until recently have still been in global wars. And, oh, yeah, we still kill each other. That's an that's an absurd concept across the cosmos. It most certainly is, of course, here, and it has to be beyond as well. Yes. Yeah, it it's it is absurd that people who claim to love and care about each other on one planet still reach out and rage to eliminate the other because we don't agree with his or her religion or politics or beliefs or way of tilling the land or driving for oil or whatever we do in our actions. I've never understood people's, if you will, insanity to reach out and hurt someone else. It's just never, I've never understood that concept and they don't get it either. Yeah. Well, I want to interject something else, uh, yeah, please, if I may, please. as I'm listening to you. And, and, and just so you know, audience, we we, we tried to uh, figure out how we were going to do this, because I, kn I knew that Tolek's story was full, and I wanted to keep my mouth shut and let him tell the story. But then just before we went on the air, Tolek said to me, you know what, Alexis? Let's just see where we, we agree. Let's see where this goes. And maybe this is going to turn into more of a philosophical discussion. And I think the way you're kind of twisting this or turning it in a, in a very positive way, it's doing just that. So forgive me because I'm going back on my promise to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> no, no, please. I, I would honestly. Because it's just too juicy. It's too good. Yeah. And we, you know, we've talked enough. Yeah. Yeah, that that we have a sense for each other. And Absolutely. so lead away. Yeah. And I think this will. Um, yeah. I think we'll touch on some really fertile ground that will provide some real Absolutely. value to people. So I think, go ahead. I think you're bringing up a really, really key point in terms of, and, and look, most of us, particularly in this audience and in a growing audience globally, are starting to feel this sort of unfamiliarity with with uh, uh, with tumult and with, with hate and all of the negativisms that are going on, what's happening. But particularly for people like yourself, Tolik, who have had these, what we call peak experiences, transformative experiences, the notion of what we're living in, and I without question call this an insane asylum. This is where we are at this point. And it is so unfamiliar. It is literally foreign to people like yourself that have had these peak experiences, particularly after the experience happens. I think that there are people 
who come to this planet that know full well there's something completely broken. Uh, they know that in- intuitively. The, these new kids know that for sure. Yes. But after such a powerful experience, which we have not gotten through yet, and I'm going to, after this, keep my mouth shut and let you continue. <laughs> That's right. Uh, after an experience like this, where you can never look at any aspect of life the same way again, this is certainly one of the uh, fundamental uh, things that come up in how how the person responds. It's just just a complete intolerance of this insanity. Not just get paying lip service to it, but it just does not. You're not on that frequency anymore. You can't be. So I'm not surprised at how you yeah. feel. That's yeah. all I wanted to add I, there. I, not I've just a notion. Been... Hmm. You know, I, I, I can't, I, I've, I've not stood in a room and talked with other contactees, and some people call us life experiences, experiencers, about their stories. I've never had the opportunity to just stand there and say, oh, okay, well, you're a contactee. Tell me about your stories and your experience. So I've never been able to do that with a number of contactees. I can tell you from the different people I've interviewed as well that like you, there are certain markers of consistency. Absolutely. From one person to another, they can you go, okay, mm-hmm. you you've been where you've been, you've done what you've done, you've come to this place of awareness about the the import and the fragility of human emotional life. And the great, and also the great capacity that we have to love and to help each other. You know, it's we're we're this. When you, sorry to go here, but when you said insane, it's almost like we're a planet of bipolar people. Mm-hmm. At least if you look at it from a, from an emotional perspective, because I, everything that I've ever experienced or conversations that I've ever had, in terms of interviewing people or at conferences. When you start to talk about the subject and the various aspects of it get get flushed out, invariably, people will say, yeah, you're right. It's like, why would they want to come down here if the first thing we do is turn our various guns, whatever kind of technology we have, and start shooting at them? Right. They've, and, and I'm going to jump, I'm going to jump way ahead and and say, quite frankly, that I'm of the understanding that there will be uh, some considerable Earth changes that will change the nature of this planet. It is part of this planet's evolution Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to adjust and to evolve. So I accept that. Um, But but there's... It's, it's the way that we do it mm-hmm. and the way that we treat each other in the process. And, and I can tell you that what they've told me about our future includes the likely event that once the changes have completed, once this planet settles down, um, once that we no longer take up arms against each other, that we become a very diverse planet of people who live in cooperation with collaboration with with kindness with understanding across the globe that is the only time that we'll get an invitation as a single planet 
to get invited into any of the galactic councils that exist, mm -hmm. the galactic councils of a multitude of higher dimensional life. Right. But we're not going to get invited to the party until we grow up. Well, sure. And stop being and stop being six year, you know, six right. six grade schoolyard and brats. And of course, that makes perfect sense, Tolik. But here's a question I have for you, and I, I do want you to kind of get back to the chronology, uh, if you could. But this is, I think, this is very important to insert along the way to understand the context in which you were getting this information and and ultimately what it meant. But we're talking about this entity said to you without delay or equivocation that there are going to be some massive shifts. We, we, we all, I think many of us feel that we have not seen the full play out of it yet. And the assumption is that it won't be until when individuals learn how to do this and so that you will be invited. But did the question ever come up or did the option of when or if, in other words, are they sure that ultimately we will self-correct and adjust homo sapien sapien or is there a possibility and this is the question that i have okay are we going to make it did this entity talk about that at all is it undecided yet <laughs> <laughs> um how much time do you have <laughs> here's, here's uh, the, the, the crypt the cri here's cliff the notes short... please <laughs> yes yes thank you here's a short version um some percentage and this is one of those and and he said this to me before unlike <clears throat> sorry unlike prior iterations of the different civil civilizations that have risen and fallen on your beautiful planet in this particular upcoming experience the number of humans that will evolve into the next version of who we're supposed to be you know if you will uh, uh human illuminous you know enlightened enlightened and enlightened enlightened human um this will be the first time that I'm, I'm combining a number of concepts here this will be the first time that a a planet that is organic in nature makes the evolution into becoming almost like a star they call that and the, the 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 scientists that he introduced me were very uh, mirthful about it and they said yeah we call it sar it's sar instead of star but your planet will become almost like a star in its nature it'll become uh, a very uh, a clear translucent light blue it'll be of a completely different vibration and it will also be the first time that a number of people living on the planet will make it through the, the the transformation. There'll be a number of people. Now, I don't know how many. It's certainly not 100%. Mm. Um, they've told me in the past, hey, think about 50% plus or minus. Really? There have been a number of conversations. Yeah, there have been a number of conversations about what the actual number is. But um, I find myself, I find it hard to believe that given the propensity for violence and emotional uh, depth and rage that we have at this moment, that 50% of the planet would make it. Because you're talking about a planet that's going to have a higher vibrational rate. And without getting into the deep philosophy of this, typically higher vibrational means greater capacity for love. 
greater capacity to get closer to to what people might call God or source. Mm -hmm. But still, um, to get to the answer of your question, this planet will become a higher dimensional world according to how they see it evolving. Mm -hmm. And many people on this planet will in fact evolve. And therefore, once that evolved planet with its remaining evolved humans are living at peace and everything's settled down, we will get an invitation to become part of and be represented be represented by uh, one of one of the higher councils. It's for him. He already sees it as part of our evolutionary path that it's going to happen. Now, keep in mind, whenever I and and other people that I've talked to have, when they talk about higher dimensional life, as soon as you get out of this three D organic existence, there is no more time. Mm-hmm. And we're actually getting closer to that these days because, as you know from many conversations, timelines are collapsing. Uh-huh. Agreed. And people yeah, are experience, so, having different experiences of time. I just yeah, had a conversation and, about that for sure. So we're starting yeah, to... Yeah. So, so that when he's speaking, he's speaking from an existence of non-time so that he can look within the totality of Earth existence and human life existence on earth, he can look with, at the totality of our existence and go, oh yeah, I can see where you guys make it. I can see where the planet evolves, a number of you evolve, and you're gonna have an amazing future. I, um, there are a number of thoughts about the thesis of the evolution of this planet and or the evolution of the people. And I don't necessarily see them tied together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I believe that, yeah, I, I believe that this planet, she is hardy, she's robust, she's beautiful, she's sensitive. She's evolved before, she's going to continue to evolve. How many Earth humans decide to wake up, become conscious, live awakened conscious lives, and choose to evolve, transform, and grow? is up to each individual person. We're collective because we live together on this globe, but those decisions are on a person-by-person basis. I'm smiling broadly. <laughs> I agree with you 100%. I'm supposed to remain objective as a journalist, but I want to put it on the record. Yeah. absolutely yeah. agree. I have said this a million times, and I'm going to say it a million and one, a quote by David Bohm. He likens individuals as uh, whirlpools in a stream. We have identity. We just don't have distinct borders, meaning we're connected. But are we all, is it one for all and all for one? I don't know. Mm, It's about the individual. And and, and here's where, uh, you know, here's an area of growth for me. Here's where I've come to understand that um, connectedness, connection with each other, I'm sure you've felt and experienced this when you go to uh, any of these conferences that there's a broad focus and acceptance of people from all walks of life and we're 
together in these rooms or we're out on the land and people are so happy to be together because they have a sense of connection, camaraderie, literally familiarity. And if we break that word down, familial, family. Family, that's right. We feel connected like family members energetically and emotionally. Um, And here's an area of learning for me. At one moment in my growth many years ago, I really didn't see the value of a collective of any number of people um, doing any kind of meditation or, 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 or conscious intention together. I've changed. I think that collective meditation and consciousness can affect at a deep emotional and intellectual level people across the globe because consciousness thought our energy mm-hmm. and energy affects people Agreed. so mm-hmm. you know this work that simon parks does in terms of his his consciousness meditation groups and they're they're large and anybody else i absolutely think it's beneficial for people that are beginning to awaken and becoming conscious of the reality of who they are so the more that people do that, more people help each other, I believe the more people that we'll see that will make it on this planet during its higher dimensional shift. Beautifully there's, said. There's my thesis. Beautifully, beautifully said. So articulate. That is just, that's powerful. I want us, uh, we have about 15 minutes left, and, and uh, we are doing a slightly abbreviated version of the show today. But in, in the remaining minutes, Tolik, I want you to take us back. Obviously, you're not going to be able to get through the whole, we're talking over a decade of, of conscious experiences, of physical experiences. But take us away from 1840s in Kentucky slash maybe West Virginia, away from the family. Maybe what you could do is give us a couple of, highlights uh, down this trajectory of yours. Once that experience happened, once you got clarity on why it was necessary for you to see that sequence of events in this family, what happened after that, that we really need to hear? Mm, Okay. I'll pick out a couple of key, other key stories. And and that would be great. Yeah. I'll let, I'll let you ask as much as you want to. Um, Of course, my life changed. Uh, I had been working um, as an executive in the healthcare software industry at that time. That work began to <laughs> began to unravel. And the guys I worked with, they, they were my business partners and friends. But like, did hey, they know? Um, did they know? Did you share with them anything that happened yes. to you? You did. Yeah, okay. there, yeah, yeah. There were there were a couple of things that happened. They're like, uh, we got to talk. I'm like, yeah, it's probably a good idea. Mm-hmm. So I, I ended up walking away from that work. I believe it was the the spring of 1996 and and it's okay i mean my it was sort of like i was going down this highway of my life path and there came the why in the road and i just started going left and left and left and left mm-hmm. you know as as many people who have uh, major life change events this happens to us yes uh, so, and you and I could have that conversation for a while. And we have. We <laughs> yes. Um, in any case, so on point, um, approximately one year later in August of 1993, uh, very similar event. Uh, it happened a little differently, but 
there's there's actually a confirmation moment, an independent confirmation moment after the event happened. But here's essentially the story. Again, uh, I'm deep in sleep. I'm in what I believe is my bed up against the Catalinas north of Tucson. And I bolt out of bed. And this time it's uh, 2.33, 2.34 a.m., kind of like an hour earlier than the year before. Mm-hmm. And I bolt out of, of bed, bolt upright, feeling uh, profoundly saddened, uh, deeply affected, profoundly sad, sort of in a, uh, with a raised temperature, but in like a cold sweat, but profoundly, profoundly sad. And here is as much that I knew at that moment. Excuse me. Essentially, I was part of a group of, we'll call it 12 to 14 people of different galactic races on a local Earth transport ship. Uh, Keep in mind, I've been told that there are at each of the mountainous areas of Tucson, northwest, northeast, southwest, southeast, there are um, benevolent uh, underground ET bases that are still quite active. I was on one of the local transport ships. I was part of a group of 12 to 14 people. We were being given a tour on this transport ship. This ship was much more oblong shaped as compared to a disc. We were about halfway through the tour on the ship and this absolutely scared out of his mind, white-faced ensign came up to the guy who was giving being given the tour. Uh, you could consider him to be like the XO mm-hmm. of the ship. And this ensign says to him, essentially, sir, we've got a problem. Uh, the ship is going down. There's nothing that we can do about this. And he looks at him. He's like, no, that's not possible. This ship only came out of space dock a few months ago. It had experienced a complete overhaul. That can't be possible. And he essentially said, and I'm not a scientist, but here's what I learned, that there's a, a gyro in the base of this craft and somehow it busted and it could not keep the ship steady. So the ship, even as we we had started, as we were walking in that moment, the ship was starting to pitch, pitch and tilt. He's like, sir, we, we can't, we would have to go to fa- space dock. We can't go to space dock. We can't get this thing leveled. This thing's going down. A number of, there were working families on this ship uh, and or visitors, one of the two, I'm not sure which, but a number of women and children are running around where I'm hearing screaming. The, the ship then pitches violently forward and it's racing to the planet's surface. Then I come awake, if you will. I'm back in my body, in my bed, having bolted upright, feeling profoundly sad. So go to the bathroom, drink a water, climb back in bed, fall asleep. Um, keep in mind, I'm still in the healthcare software industry at that time. It's only a year after my 1993 experience. It's, it's August 94. I get dressed, go to work, suit, coat, tie. About 4.30 in the afternoon, I call a relatively new friend of mine. I met him in 
Tucson at a MUFON meeting two hour t- sorry two years earlier and we established this friendship and he happened to be the Pima County State Section Assistant Director at that time so I said I called him on the phone it's like 4:30 I said hey Rod you got a moment he was like yeah sure I said I got to tell you about something that happened to me uh, in in the wee wee hours of the morning that left left me really really rattled. It was really disturbing, and I want to share this story with you. So I shared with him the same story that I shared with you, and he said, "Are you sure?" I'm paraphrasing because keep in mind this is '93. I said, "Yeah, I'm absolutely positive." He says, "Tell me again all the details." So I I tell him the complete story again, and he said, "Are are you sitting down and A and B? Why didn't you call me sooner?" I said, well, I, you know, you know me, I, I'm at work. I wanted to make sure I got, got, got through my work day. He's like, okay, yeah, all right. And so here we are, here's my story. You know, you're assistant state section director. People report to you, do you know anything at all? He said, all right, about 3 a.m., sometime after 3 a.m., I don't, use like, I don't remember exactly, you know, 3.15, 3.20. I received a couple of phone calls from independent MUFON field investigators that a craft had gone down in the Reddington Pass area of Tucson. There was a crash. <laughs> a crash retrieval uh, team of vehicles was seen out in that area that was dispatched and from one of the people that I talked to there were 125 lives lost there was one person who was critical who didn't make it and that means there was one being that was that was left alive out of 127 people that is why I woke up feeling the way I did. Well, of course, yes. And there are some other other stories that I have um, that I would imagine, like you and other people who are having awakening experiences, that we tell these stories and we go, "Oh wow, thanks." Well, why? Well, confirmation, you know. Yeah, your yeah. story confirmed part of what my and the other person goes. Yeah, I had something similar happen to me. And that's so the beauty. We, that's the beauty of telling these stories in this in this venue. Because look, you know, I, I know that there are probably going to be some people, as there usually are, uh, on a platform such as YouTube, as an example, that may just question the validity of these accounts to begin with. But I have to tell you right now, I'm going to say for the record, that is not what Higher Journeys is about. We're not here to test the validity of something or not. We're here to uh, familiarity. Let me just put that word out there for you all. This is not about judgment. It's about exploration of the possible and the familiar. And so I do appreciate you sharing sharing that story, and 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 more will come, I'm sure. Yeah, it, it's um, um, something. Thank, thank you for thank you for saying that out loud and for providing this kind of platform because. Yes, the planet is full of people who 
make assessments and judgments, and then also some of them uh, lash out. We're not taking into account right now the trolls, but some of them certainly lash out. Um, right, it's it's my story and it's my experience, but I can tell you that even today I have I have that visceral visceral memory of how I felt mm-hmm. when Roger said there were a hundred and so 126 lives that were lost and I was like yeah and they yanked me out in time it was I, I can one, tell you're getting a bit choked up it's yeah it's 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 um it's just and I remember when I told that story to Marie Batchelor and a number of other people in Australia, and I saw Marie's eyes, and I watched the tears form in her eyes because of what she had been through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? I, I I'm too. I I was I, I was going to school, university, considering going to law school, and though I'm a sensitive person, I'm really really grounded. I'm very grounded in terms of my own life, what works, what doesn't. And I also tend to be like a lot of males, um, quite analytical. And yet when I heard him confirm that, that story, I was like, wow, this, this, this is, there's something, something else going on in my life here that I could have never anticipated. Yeah. I, you know, I just, it's about putting the pieces together. And I yeah. say, if it takes a lifetime, if it takes lifetimes, so be it. But let's yeah. at least at a minimum, dare to explore the mystery, dare to explore the mystery. Tolik, unfortunately, we're gonna have to wind this down. I, I'm going to invite you back because there's more there's much more to tell there's more uh, philosophy to inject as you do tell. Um, and so I'm going to ask you right now, formally, if you'll if you'll come back and join us in the not too distant future, we'd love to have you. I, I'd be honored to. Thank okay. you. I appreciate. Fantastic. It. I appreciate. If, yeah, appreciate another opportunity to explore um, the philosophies mm-hmm. and the not and the knowledge that we gain from having these life changing experiences Absolutely. because it does change us as you know, in a wholesale manner. Completely. It certainly does. And so, yeah. so many in our audience that I hear from regularly about their own experiences, they're so grateful to hear from people like yourself, to know that we're not alone. And let me reiterate, journeyers, we are not alone in our experiences, though they are unique, as David Bohm said, we're connected, we're like whirlpools in a stream. We have identity. Mm. We just don't have distinct borders. And having stories like this told remind us that we do not have distinct borders. So with that said, I want to end on this note. Speaking of Tolek, and I have a feeling you're going to be telling a couple of these stories at your upcoming event in September. Tell us about transformational shift events (laughs) conference in Sedona coming up in September of this year. What's happening? Sure. Yeah, of course. Uh, Um... I will do that and I'll keep it as brief as possible. This year's conference, and it was one of those for at least three or four months. Eh, yeah, yeah, at least three months or so. Um, I really didn't have a title for the conference. I, I always try to give them a specific relevancy. And as as March 
came into being of this year. And it wasn't, it didn't take any thinking. This topic just rolled off, it rolled out of my tongue. And so this year's conference is called An Exploration into Human Awakening and Expanding Human Consciousness. And I've got just an incredible breadth of people from an incredible breadth of and walks and experiences of life from uh, Jerry Wills, who's one of yes. the uh, the co-founders of Expedition TV. Mm-hmm. Who's, Love Jerry's uh, who, work. Yeah, and Jerry's, as you know, he has traveled to places of mystery and mm-hmm. wonder, wonder or, and energy of the ancients and our ancestors for years with his wife, Kathy. Uh, our wonderful friend, Dr. Marie Batchelor, uh, MD, uh, from uh, Melbourne, Australia. David Still from from, as I say, Tugan, but these guys say Tugan, <laughs> Australia. A couple of other folks who spoke at Uluru will also be joining us. So we've got five or six Australians presenting at this conference. Retired Lieutenant Colonel Nayara Isley of the Above Majestic documentary mm. will be one of our keynote speakers. Uh, Rebecca Hardcastle, the found yeah. PhD the founder of the Institute for Exoconsciousness, and on and on and on. These are the, the, the quality of global people that we'll be having as speakers this year. Fantastic. And the, the one thing I'm doing this year that's going to be different than other years is that, if I may, instead of having this be a speaker-centric conference, I'm reducing the typical one-and-a-half to two-hour speaker engagements and they're going to speak from 50 minutes, five zero to an hour. Mm-hmm. And that means I'm purposely making available about an hour and a half to two hours of Q&A between a variety of speakers and the attendees every single day. Mm-hmm. Because I want to provide people with a format for open dialogue and exchange. Not that they're getting talked at for hours on end, but that they learn a little bit from each of the speakers, key important features of their talk, but they get dialogue every single day, greater exchange every single day. Mm-hmm. And I think, I, I believe that I'll be able to provide greater value for people in doing this. Um, I, and I also believe that there's, uh, we might even get a couple of uh, very famous UFO researchers from France that may join us. It'll oh, that's be probably fantastic. Them too. Yeah, so. Well, I'm looking forward to it. That's for sure. Yeah, and of course. And I'm... Yes. <laughs> you will be you will be one of our keynotes. I will. Uh, and, and I will and actually I'm sorry. And that we're focusing on on consciousness, being awake and awareness. Uh, I feel honored to have you and Rebecca and Nayira and everybody else. Well, thank you. And I'm going to be in great company. I'm so looking forward to uh, Jerry Wills. Oh, my goodness. The the, the stories he has to share and my friend uh, Marie. So it, it's going to be fantastic. Tell us where people can go can to buy tickets. Now, can they get tickets in advance? Yes, they can. Okay. Uh, Give us the details very quickly on that, and then we're going to shut it down. <laughs> here we go. Uh, throughout the month of May, we still have the early bird discount pricing schedule in effect. People can easily go to transformationalshiftevents.com website. Mm-hmm. If you find the button that says 2019 
Sedona Conference. You can click on that button, get all the details, all the information regarding the speaker speakers, plural, and the conference. And there's also a button, of course, for tickets. Okay. And the early bird special thing is there and also the ability for people to purchase multiple tickets at a discount is also there. Perfect. That's that's awesome. the end of my pitch. Okay, there you go. We got it all in there. But I will make sure to have a link so people can go and check it out for themselves. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. Yes. Tolek, my friend, uh, chills yet again. Second time I've heard, uh, I think I heard a little bit more, but chills nonetheless uh, of uh, hearing the story yet again today for me. And I know that our audience... Uh, hopefully have gotten a few chills themselves or probably more questions, <laughs> more questions. And uh, we want to have you, we want to have you back so that, so that maybe you can fill in some of the other pieces here, but uh, sure, it's be been, it has been wonderful having you and uh, Godspeed to you and Godspeed to everyone in the higher journeys audience. And we'll talk to you real soon. Take care.